This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Monday, August 19th, 2019. I'm Caleb Brown. What makes a currency manipulator? Is China's attempt to prop up its currency a threat to the United States? Is it just a response to punitive tariffs imposed by the Trump White House? Cato's Dan Ikenson makes the case. For the benefit of listeners and for your humble host, what makes a country, or at least the central bank of that country, a currency manipulator? Uh, currency manipulation involves actions taken by policymakers to suppress uh, the value of, of their currency. Uh, it's often done, presumably, to secure trade advantages, to make it easier for your exporters to price competitively abroad, and to make it more difficult for foreign producers to sell their products uh, in your own market. But really, currency manipulation can work in many different dimensions, in many different ways. But the the one that is most relevant for the policy discussion we've been having concerns interventions to uh, prevent currencies from appreciating. So the Trump administration has labeled uh, China a currency manipulator. What does that mean as a matter of policy? Well, uh, in 1988, uh, a trade law was passed, the, the Omnibus Trade Act of 1988, which requires the Treasury Department to issue semi-annual reports on uh, the currencies of, of major economies. And the last time uh, any country was labeled a currency manipulator was back in the early 90s, I think 93, and it was China. Uh, and um, since then, it hasn't labeled uh, China or anybody else a currency manipulator. And um, throughout the early 2000s and in, in more recent years, there have been assertions that the Chinese have been manipulating their currency, uh, but but the Treasury Department did not come to that conclusion. Uh, they have a variety of criteria that they use, but uh, to answer your question, uh, what does it mean from a policy perspective? I'd say not not very much. Uh, the law says that if a country is labeled a currency manipulator, that uh, the U.S. government should seek to remediate the problem either bilaterally or through the International Monetary Fund. And given that we are in the midst of a pretty heated trade war with China right now, imposing sanctions on one another, um, it doesn't seem to me that this matters all that much. It's just a, an act of, of name calling, I think, as The Economist put it. Uh, and it really undermines the U.S. Treasury's credibility because they have not, uh, nothing has changed. In fact, the Chinese are are engaging in the opposite of currency manipulation. They've been trying to prop up the value of their currency as it has been depreciating uh, part and parcel, or particularly because of the trade war. Uh, the, you know, the fact that there are tariffs imposed on Chinese products is encouraging companies that are invested in China to divest and to go elsewhere. So there is, uh, um, there's a sell-off of, of Chinese currency and, and, and the Chinese want to prop up the value of their currency because in the long run, they, they really do want to be a, have a world reserve currency, sort of like the dollar. Uh, there's a lot of prominence to that and they are, uh, They've been spending their currency reserves, their their, their dollar held assets, uh, to buy RMB or UN. Uh, they have two names for the currency uh, on, on the open market, and uh, the the administration decided to label China a currency manipulator simply because it stopped intervening in the market to prop up the value of the RMB. So the Trump administration uh, saw that the, the, that the RMB, the, the, 
pressure on the RMB pushed it down to a value that uh, uh, that it hadn't seen in about ten years, which was uh, more than seven RMB to the dollar. And said, oh, the Chinese are are manipulating because they're no longer propping up the value of their currency. Um, you know, this is uh, this decision came as a one-off. It was not part of the semi-annual reporting process. Those, the first report came out in May. The next report comes out in November. This was just the product of Trump pressuring Sec Treasury Secretary Mnuchin to label China a currency manipulator. Uh, where we go from here, I'm I'm, I'm not particularly sure. And uh, as we were talking before we started recording here today, uh, this isn't new. This is this goes back to in your world at least two thousand three. Yeah, so I, I've been at Cato since uh, October two thousand, and I remember uh, being at the WTO ministerial meeting in Cancun when the Doha round was launched. And uh, the news, the breaking news of the day, as uh, besides the fact that the, that the talks were, were breaking down, was a, a piece of legislation introduced by Senator Schumer, which would impose a 27.5% tariff on all imports from China because the Chinese currency was undervalued and they were intentionally undervaluing it. That 27.5% tariff uh, wasn't any, wasn't the product of any you know, scientific uh, research. It was the midpoint in the range of, of estimates of how undervalued the Chinese currency was. So economists from various institutions around the world, uh, the range was something like 10 to 45% uh, undervaluation. So Schumer took the midpoint of that um, and introduced legislation. Uh, that legislation didn't 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 make it through. I think uh, Congress saw it as a massive tax on U.S. consumers and rejected it. I think in the next Congress, it was reintroduced with uh, Senator Lindsey Graham of South Carolina. It still met the same same fate. And there have been all sorts of um, policy proposals in the United States over the years to to deal with currency uh, manipulation. The most recent one that seems to be uh, gaining. Um, uh, credibility again is to treat it as a subsidy uh, under the U.S. countervailing duty law. I, I think that's a terrible idea. I don't think that the the Commerce Department is capable of of measuring that in an objective way. And in fact, you know the, the the fact that economists, renowned economists from around the world, can't agree on uh, you know what the value should be. Uh, suggest that there are many ways to to approach this, and I think that the Commerce Department would do it in, a, in sort of a in, in a protectionist kind of way. So um, that said, um, I, I, you know, with with respect to you know when you when we took economics in college, you know, we learned that currency values do influence trade flows. An undervalued currency, you know, sort of subsidizes your exports and taxes imports. That's true, of course, but I think that effect has been muted, mitigated somewhat by the fact of globalization. Because China has been an export processing economy for so many years, it imports a large chunk of the value of what it exports. And then it just ends up adding a little bit of value in, Ch in China and you know, in assembling through assembling uh, operations and things like that. Uh, so when the Chinese currency is uh, appreciating, which is what U.S. policymakers have wanted, uh, to you know, as a means to correct this trade imbalance. What happens is that the cost of the inputs that it purchases from abroad go down, so they can reduce the the their cost of production and therefore reduce their price for export 
and and keep the market share in the United States. We've seen that between 2005 and 2013, that the Chinese currency appreciated 36 or 38 percent in real terms. Yet the bilateral deficit. Uh, with the United, between the United States and China increased 46% during that period. So we saw exports increase to China, which you know the textbooks would predict, uh, but the value of imports continued to rise. So that speaks to you know, the Chinese uh, capacity to lower their costs of production, lower their prices, and it also speaks to um, uh, demand in the United States. There's not a great deal of elasticity for demand. People depend, Americans depend on imports from China, so they can't really substitute away very easily. So they, they will incur the higher prices. You know, if you're a U.S. exporter, why wouldn't you welcome the development of uh, China spending down its reserves and freeing up a lot of dollars and thus trying, at least attempting, I guess, in a way to drive down the U.S. dollar. Yeah. So we are having a broader conversation in the United States now about whether the dollar is too strong. Uh, the dollar is the pr predominant world reserve currency. M most transactions, international transactions occur in dollars. Uh, foreigners demand U.S. dollar-denominated assets. Um, so as a result, there is always upward pressure on the dollar. And as a result, we have run trade deficits year after year after year since two years after Nixon took us off the quasi-gold standard in 1971. That's because foreigners were looking for investments uh, that were safe and, and, and the dollar-denominated dollar investments became uh, you know, the predominant um, uh, place to you know to, to to save to save your money, and, uh, and and so as a result, uh, exporters have complained over the years that hey we can't really compete in foreign markets because because the dollar is so strong. That may be the case uh, for commodities products that can't be differentiated by quality or you know uh, sp specific features of the product. So agricultural products maybe. But for machinery and equipment and uh, uh, you know technology-oriented products, I don't think that's so much the case uh, because there are perceived technology differences. Anyway, exporters would like to see a a, a weaker dollar so that they can compete uh, more abroad, specifically and particularly in, in in these commodities. But there are huge benefits to having a strong dollar. There are incredible benefits to being the government that. That, that prints the the most desired reserve currency. And uh, you know, we don't seem to, uh, you know, po politicians, when they push for measures that they think are going to correct uh, a trade imbalance, uh, don't seem to recognize the, the privilege. I think it's uh, the, the term that was once used by a, by a French diplomat, the exorbitant privilege of printing the world's reserve currency. If we keep trying to undermine the dollar, we will no longer have that privilege and we will start to feel the effects of, uh, of this and, and, and policymakers will be uh, compelled to make uh, decisions that are more fiscally responsible. Dan Eikenson directs the Herbert A. Stiefel Center for Trade Policy Studies at the Cato Institute. You can learn more at cato.org and you can follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast. <laughs>